You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody. It is another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by Sexy Irish Sean and Rick the Taken. How are you guys doing? The Taken? Aren't you Taken, Rick? Ooh. I, I, I've been Taken for a while now. It's, it's, See? It's, it's been like a month, maybe. But not the Liam Neeson Taken. The, the, Pri- the good Pride version. And Prejudice. The Pride and Prejudice, Pride and Prejudice Taken. taken. <laughs> and not, not the Jersey Shore Taken. <laughs> At first, you thought I thought you said Tekken. I'm like, yeah, Tekken. One of my oh man, harangue. Old school arcade King. games. Did you play any Tekken? Tekken. I played great. a lot of Tekken. I played okay. King. I Te- was all Tekken. About King. Oh, Tekken King. just put Mortal Kombat to shame. At least in it my did. opinion. Today on Crowdfunding Nerds, we are going to talk about something that every single crowdfunding creator, every Kickstarter creator, GameFound creator, wherever you're you're hosting, is going to go through, and that is the mid campaign. There's a very well documented term in our industry called the mid campaign slump you've got the first two days are going to be this explosion of activity and that that's what we all hope for is you get an explosion of activity on your first couple of days and then things slow down after you kind of come down from the the heights of getting ranked on kickstarter and that kind of thing and you enter into this mid campaign phase where you're just trying to do anything you can to get recognized unless you're some sort of let's say like a frost haven that starts getting covered by major media outlets or other things like that, which will be excellent sources of traffic, you will be struggling for additional funding. Every dollar you get is going to be a dollar that you fight for. And then, you know, at the end, you've got this final 48 hour period that funding will tick up uh, substantially. Again, you'll have this explosion, I believe, like a lesser explosion on the final 48 hours of your campaign. And this is going to be when all of the people that you've built up that hit that remind me button are going to actually take a look at your campaign. And like for deliverance right now, we have like 4,400 people that hit that remind me button and only like 18% of them are converted. So we'll have a ton of them convert in the final 48 hours uh hopefully at least and that's kind of what we're working toward but what the heck do you do in the mid campaign and i will say that um you know we've helped a lot of clients with kickstarter projects now and the mid campaign is the number one i would say the number one uptick in in client interaction is in the mid campaign and oftentimes it boils down to a single question is what can i do to you know, get more backers? What can I do to make more money? What, how can I increase our pledges and, you know, that kind of thing. And it's, um, a really tough, kind of a a tough question to answer, you know, no matter how it's asked, it's always a, a tough thing to answer. And so now that I'm in the mid campaign, I actually really surprised myself with things that I did in order and am doing in order to boost our funding. So thought we would talk about that. So Andrew, do you find that it sort of has a, it compounds upon itself? So once you do something that gets a lot of attention, is it easier to leverage that to get more attention elsewhere? Is that how it works or is it kind of just hit and miss and it's sporadic and it's out of your control? How's it kind of working out so far? I will say with certainty and firsthand experience now that if you fund well, you will, more doors will open than you had previously. In fact, I was actually turned down for 
um, a number of podcasts and other, well, I'll just call them like media appearances, even if it was just a small channel or, you know, or, you know, a big channel because we didn't have a Kickstarter that was funded yet. So a lot of people were really concerned about covering something that might not be funded. And especially with our project, it's a very different project or product and one that is not clearly tested in the marketplace. If you just had dragons and, and wizards, you know, flying everywhere, maybe wizards flying on dragons or dragons flying on wizards with lasers, with laser beams. Yeah. It would, it would be real easy to get somebody to say, Oh, I think this will fund. And then they'd be interested in covering you. But when you're like, Hey, this is a Christian fantasy game with angels and demons. And people are like, well, I don't know. When we funded $144,000 on the first day, it got a lot of attention. And we, we absolutely had a significant amount of interest over what we did before that. So to Rick's point earlier, it is a big deal to do the pre-marketing and all of the prep work and all of that painstaking labor. That's the risk that you take. And then the payoff, which I'm thankful to say Deliverance has absolutely had quite a payoff so far. And we're working, to, we're working really hard to increase and that kind of thing that's the risk you take and then the the payoff is hopefully going to come on launch day yeah and with the background of your game it seems like people either really love it or really dislike it in fact it's funny because it's like even both sides like you'll you you go to like the christian forums that are talking about it and people like oh i got this game it's awesome and other people like oh no it's not realistic it's not what it's in the bible and then you go i actually i don't know if you've seen this in facebook i don't know if you've seen if if you haven't seen it all i'll I'll send it to you andrew but there's actually in one of the atheist groups there's a thread on your game Uh and like some people are like oh this is actually pretty cool i know what even though i don't believe this i'm gonna get it it's like and then like there's a you know there's like almost like a back and forth war going on, on that thread. And it's just so interesting how like it's either like it seems to be either people are really hot or really cold when it comes to this game. It's very controversial, even on both sides of the Christian aspect. Which is great because controversy yep. sells. <laughs> yes. Half the battle is what is that, right? You want people to actually see it. And then now that it's it is generating conversation. The other half of the battle is getting people to actually want it and uh, pony up the cash to, to, you know, to back it. So I think the main issue that a lot of people have with Deliverance is more the idea of it because they don't really have firsthand experience with the game yet. Uh, we do have, let's say, about 600 people that have downloaded and are actively playing uh, Deliverance on our tabletop simulator or, or on, on tabletop simulator on our Discord server. And they're having a blast with it. But, and, you know, maybe there are those people that have played at recent, um, I mean, there's really not a whole lot recent because of COVID, ruined all our uh, convention fun and whatnot for a while. You know, there are not that many people that have that firsthand account to be able to say, hey, this was a great game. It did not preach at me until I converted or, or quit, you know, and that's, I think, is what a lot of the quote-unquote controversy is with uh we'll say non-christian groups and then on the other side you've got the christian groups the controversy there i think is also based on hearsay where people are afraid oh no the spiritual war i'm gonna bring it into my home if i get this game you know it's like uh demons can't enter your home unless you bring in this box of deliverance right and um i think that both are actually motivated well, I guess they both come from a place of ignorance. And that's something that 
I can't stop and I, I don't really try to control a whole lot. I just try to um, speak to the, there's a healthy group of people in the middle that are on both sides that say, this looks like a lot of fun. Is it fun? And the answer is yes, it's a ton of fun and people are having a lot of uh, a blast with it. And so my energy goes to um, talking to those people and helping those people get, you know, experience it and play it. And the chatter that happens on the outside of, of the, you know, we'll say that, that middle section, you know, those people that are dunk, trying to dunk on it on, on either side are um, just not worth my energy. It, you know, it reminds me of a game I played when I was a kid. It was called Caesar three. And it was like this little civilization RTS thing of, you know, Roman empires. And as a kid, I learned all the gods just by playing that because you built these different temples. And if it was like, you built a temple to Mars, the God of war, your military might would increase. So I learned, <laughs> I learned, and like Neptune, you you're like your seafaring would improve. So I learned I learned all these Greek gods just by osmosis through playing this game. So it sort of reminds me of that when you talk about deliverance. People can obviously learn biblical concepts, but it's going to be through osmosis through playing the game. It's not going to be because they sat down and were you know dedicated to educating themselves on the you know the source material. That is pretty awesome, actually. Like super thematic, very relevant to that game and you know, yeah, maybe it's not real life, you know, maybe building a temple to Aries won't make your bench press, you know, more weight, but it'll, it, it just does make for appropriately applying theme in a game. And I think that that's where I kind of stake my, where I make my stand on deliverance is that everything in the game is extremely thematically appropriate and tied to this, um, this world. And that makes for a really immersive experience that a lot of people like. So, you know, it's one of those things that maybe a lesson for everybody watching this, maybe your game might not make as many waves in, uh, you know, or I guess in, in controversy as Deliverance does. But in any case, the people that you need to focus on, the things that you need to spend your time on are those people that advocate for you. You're going to have people give you negative reviews. Uh, you know, our reviews have been actually quite overwhelmingly positive, but not 100% of them aren't positive. And, you know, I don't spend all my time listening to reviews and hearing what somebody's opinion is on it. I mean, there are, all, there are so many other things that you should be doing. And this kind of goes in maybe is a good introduction into our topic, which is that you have certain things that you do in your mid campaign that are result producing. You have other things that you do in your mid campaign that you could be you could punch the gas and, you know, like Gabe Barrett has said before um, on his podcast, the board game design lab, you can go a hundred miles an hour. Your car can go to whatever, 7,000, 8,000 RPMs and you're not moving anywhere because your wheels aren't on the ground. Right. And I guess that would mean you would be going zero miles an hour. Right. You know, it's, it matters, you know, the, the, the actual activity that you do matters for your funding amount. And so that's really what we want to talk about. Like what would be result producing for you to do in the middle of your campaign? So as you, you wrote an article for Jamie Stegmeier on his blog on sturmeiergames.com and you list 10 different things that people should be doing during the mid campaign. So I'll, I'll just list them here. So we have them as an overview. You have engage in your community, send emails to your list, create a premium pledge level, constantly seek podcasts and interviews, 
Constantly seek influencers to share your project with. Keep your review prototypes in constant motion. Ask friends and family for support. Post relevant things in social communities. Take a break. Write a helpful article for your peers. So mm-hmm. we'll include a link in the show notes if you want to check out the article. But we're going to basically be going through this. But maybe just um, in short, which one of those for deliverance has produced the most results so far? Absolutely. Number one, engaging in my community is the biggest. So first of all, when I when I mean engage in your community, I mean that you need to create a community of rabid hardcore fans and engage with those people more than anyone else. Oftentimes you'll engage with them across multiple mediums like sending emails or you know, your if it's a Facebook community or Discord server or whatever it is, those people are going to pull the most weight for you. Hardcore fans that just shout from the rooftops about the awesomeness of of your game. And that's by far the number one thing. We go over our basic strategy in, I believe it's episode 14. We talk about the virtuous cycle. And I would highly recommend people would listen to that if they, you know, if you want a base of understanding here. But uh, the, um, so we talked about the kind of the basic purpose, but there are a lot of places that you might have your community. You know, it's not just uh, your Facebook group, but you could have people on, you know, Kickstarter, Board Game Geek, um, Discord, Facebook, and a ton of other um, social media, including your email list, in fact. And really, I guess the, the point I wanted to make with this, with this particular bullet is that, number one, you need to spend time to build a community before you launch. And if you don't have one, then you probably shouldn't launch because you're not ready. The second thing is that if you want people to know that you saw their stuff, you can like their, their comment. But if you want people to engage back with you, you need to engage with them by writing a comment. It's not enough to actually just like something that somebody said. You should always respond. And you see this on YouTube comments and other things like that. Until somebody gets massive, you know, you should really respond to every single comment if you can. And so that's been kind of my focus there. And I do believe that that is very result producing. Um, even reading comments will help you do a better job and, um, you know, give you, I mean, your, your people, your advocates are going to tell you when something's wrong, they want you to fix it so that you can get more backers and uh, that sort of thing. So um, anyway, that's, that's, I guess my soapbox on building a community. So it was on Facebook. Someone posted a video about a week or a couple days into your, your launch about, I believe you talked about things that would make your Kickstarter better. And I think you said you actually implemented a lot of those things already and had them had them going. Um, could you go in a little more into that? Yeah, actually, yeah, there were um, a couple of things that people have shared with me about the Kickstarter page in particular. Number one, when we launched, we had certain errors, you know, a spelling error here, a spacing error there. Those things actually make a big difference. Weirdly enough, the um, the little things that you don't notice because you have been looking at this content for, you know, however many hours it was for you to put it together and think it through and whatnot, your Kickstarter page, you know, laying it out, you're going to miss things. Um, there were other, you know, disparities. Actually, all of my stretch goal talents were, which are cards in the game, were actually listed as complete, you know, the complete final number was listed in each of the pledge tiers. It's like, oh, shoot. 
So I ended up actually giving people to all of those stretch goals a little bit early. We had, you know, people suggest, hey, you should put quotes all throughout the page so that we, you know, they're they're not all just in that one little page. And uh, putting Sam Healy's quote right up at the top was you know, really made a difference for some people. And they commented on that, like, wow, Sam Healy really likes it. I like the stuff he likes, so I'll probably like it too. And then you had um, Kyle Mann with the Babylon Bees quote next, and it was all about, you know, the game basically sometimes can feel kind of hopeless, but, and yet there's that one glimmer of hope in it. It's just the, you know, it kind of got that, uh, that thematic, you know, excitement, um, you know, was what came from that quote. And that really helped a lot of people, you know, and, and so anyway, the, those were a lot of the things that really made a difference. Would it be important when you're, you're sourcing your quotes to have them hit different parts of your game, or is it better to just hit like drum one, one thing and really communicate that well? What's sort of your strategy on selecting the, the quotes that you're gleaning from reviews? Yeah. So there are a couple of elements. And the first one is, um, name recognition. If somebody is a known, you know, I guess like an influencer that could help you, you know, this, like I mentioned the Sam Healy thing. I mean, Sam is a well-known person in the community and, and if he likes it, a lot of people are going to say, well, I like it too. And the second thing would be what, you know, you want to give people the thing that actually stands out about your game, the, the unique selling position of your game, not just that it's a, oh, this is an area control game with deck building. Or, you know, for me, it's a tactical combat game where you, you know, you level up kind of like a dungeon crawl and other things like that. Um, But it's nice when you get other people talking about what makes your game stand out. And, you know, when people were saying, you know, people would say things like the tension in the game was fantastic because I used all my actions for combat and we ended up getting destroyed by the darkness cards. And that was that felt really interesting. I want things like that because that's going to, you know, it'll in in a dungeon crawl. I mean, it's common that might makes might makes right. You know, all you have to do is just deal enough damage and then you can pretty much break through any challenge. And it's all about oftentimes you're just trying to destroy all the bad guys on the field and it doesn't matter, you know, what shape they are. You're just going to cleave them in half and then you win. And that can really uh, ruin the tension for a lot of people, ruin the fun. It's like, it's not that fun if you're just, if you figure out how to win and beat every single thing and you do it the same exact way. And so giving people some of the unique selling positions of, Hey, the game won't let you, I mean, you could be really strong, but the darkness cards will overwhelm you. Um, that's that tends to be something that um, is very, uh, you know, very interesting to people. And so that's what you really want to do with quotes. You want to call out those tiny little interesting bits um, wherever possible. So the unique selling points of your game through quotes. Yes, definitely. And I feel like those should be experiential things. You know, like I had this experience because other people reading that quote will say, oh, wow, that sounded great. I want that experience too. Probably quite similar to the first point, engage your community. We have send emails to your list. How is that different from engaging your community? So if you have a community, you're you're going to ha- also have an email list. So you want to send things out to your list and, and all that. And that does seem similar to engaging your community. However, a lot of people have this mental block with sending emails. You know, you might send a launch email saying, hey, we launched, but you should also be have you should have sent a monthly email leading up to that point. You should have sent 
another email letting people know, hey, our Kickstarter uh, landing page is live, our preview page is live, all sorts of other things like that. So when your Kickstarter launches, I would expect that you would send at least one email a week. If you send an e- one email a week, I personally would consider that standard practice during a live Kickstarter campaign. And a lot of people don't because they're afraid people are going to get annoyed with them and unsubscribe from them. And while I do think that there's a little bit of truth, there's a kernel of truth to that, where if you send meaningless garbage content, then people aren't going to appreciate that. But if you send meaningful content, it will people will appreciate it. And yes, you will have some people unsubscribe, but it's so much better to have somebody unsubscribe and someone else back your game because, you know, they you said something that finally convinced them or maybe they weren't ready at that time and they, you know, the email was the thing that prompted them to look today and, you know, that kind of thing. So it's so important to send emails on a regular basis to your list and we, you know, will encourage our own clients to send emails uh, oftentimes paired with their project updates. So like, you know, if we're doing emails for a client and they write a project update, we will take that update and uh, transpose that into like a MailChimp email and blast it out to their email list because you have a lot of people that will see the update and, you know, on Kickstarter who have backed your campaign, but you have a lot of people on your email list that did not back your game. And so it's really important to get the information out when it, you know, the time comes to actually raise money. It's like, you've got, you know, three to four weeks or whatever to raise money for your game. And you really need to leverage the email list. Don't fail to leverage your emails. Uh, Our first email generated something like $15,000 or so into our uh, campaign. And then our, our next emails uh, our four e- subsequent emails to that, we do a send and then a resend for each email. Uh, we put another $11,000 into the campaign about through subsequent emails. And that that's just straight up money left on the table if you didn't send them. Yeah, when, when people join your email list, either they are extremely interested in your product or they might be interested in your product. They may be what I call on the fence. And the job of your email list is to get them off the fence either to either to promote or buy your product or to figure out if it's not right for them. And by sending multiple emails out, you know, trying to get them more involved, you are, are in a way forcing them to make that decision. And, you know, that's, that's what you want to do in marketing. You want to be able to lead their decision into either in, into your product, or like I said, it might not be a perfect fit or a good fit for them. And they realize it. So if you don't send those emails out, a person you, you have you're losing all these opportunities where people are on the fence and they may just stay on the fence because nothing piqued their curiosity to get them to get off the fence and into your product. You know, it's not just one, and we talked about this in previous podcasts, it's not just one aspect of the game that everyone likes. You know, people like games for different reasons. Either it's thematic, either it's it's the um, the way it's played. Different, you know, uh, it, maybe it's intensity. Some people like co-op, some people don't, or they like something really, really crazy uh, hard, and some people just want something where they just you know can chill. So there's all these different aspects that may pique their interest. But if you only talk about like the main aspect and you don't talk about anything else at all because you're not sending out emails, you you may just miss that mark, right? completely money left on the table in some cases. You know, in others, you've got fringe cases where people spend all this time to build an email list before the Kickstarter launched, 
but they never sent an email out because it didn't want to annoy people. And what happens when their Kickstarter launches? They send an email out for their first time ever. And then the people who were sitting dormant on that list for three to five months are like, who is this guy? You know, why are they emailing me? And, you know, those emails don't perform very well. Number three, create a premium pledge level. Yes. So this actually really surprised me. Um, Originally, I was inspired by Jack Sporner with Dungeons of Infinity. He had this prod. His original campaign was one that was at like 50% funding, like halfway through the campaign, it was only 50% funded. And he created a premium pledge level, which would basically airship a, a game to you for like five times as much as a regular game cost. And it ended up actually being about a, a wash, you know, the cost of air freight or of air shipping a game and everything like that. But it got his funding goal. I think he made like $10,000 through these pledge levels, maybe even 5,000 through these, these pledge levels. And that ended up making it so that he got funded and he didn't put all the money in himself at the end or something. He actually had backers like feel rejuvenated, resurrected, like, Hey, we could do this. And then they really turned it on and ended up, he got his campaign funded. So I had this idea. I thought of a, it was the coolest name ever. It was an angel investor that I wanted to, I wanted to have a premium pledge level. And I thought, you know, during the middle of my campaign, my most hardcore fans may want to upgrade. And so we, we had seven pledge levels called the angel investor at 750 bucks. It was an all in level plus a custom hand painted set of minis. And then we had an archangel investor, which was $1,500 that in addition to the angel investor stuff, also included a signed prototype and a signed art piece from our artist. And those things sold out on the first day immediately. I couldn't believe how fast they sold out. Before we did that, I wanted I, I had no idea how it was going to be received. And I wanted people to give me some feedback. Like I didn't want to look greedy or something by putting a $1,500 pledge level out there. And I asked my, my own community and they all said, yeah, this sounds great. I would love to see it. I can't afford it, but I'd love to see it. And then I got a few people that were like, you know what? I would be completely in. Can you tell me a little bit more about the art piece? I'd love to, to know about that. And these people aren't necessarily looking for gameplay value, you know, like I want all the minis now. I want 10, whatever, 10 times the minis. They're not looking for that. They're looking for some something extra special. And they they really believe in the campaign and the mission and the game and that kind of thing. I don't know. It just strikes a special chord with them. So we actually sold out all of these pledges on the first day. And every so often I increase these pledges where we sold seven of each pledge and the, they were sold out right away. And the angel investor, I actually have 30 people that have committed to that $750 price tag, which really has helped through our mid campaign. And so we've had a lot of days that are like four to $5,000 or more because we have one or, you know, two angel investors that day. And I th- just think that's incredible. In addition to, you know, maybe 40 backers of the regular game. It's like being in a rock band. You know, you got your, what they call groupies. And these are like your diehard fanatic fans will go, would do anything just to see you. I have a friend who's also a grown up adult who has like this crazy, crazy, she's a groupie for Justin Timberlake. 
And whenever he's nearby in the United States, she will fly to Chicago. She'll fly to, you know, wherever. If it's in L.A., she'll drive up there. And not only will she go to the concert, she always gets like the VIP package. There's always like, you know, oh, meet and greet or, or a photo shoot or whatever. And she does that every single time. And that just shows the importance. You always, if you have a good, if you have a good product, if you have a good Kickstarter, you will have these groupies. You will have these diehard fans. But also, though, I would like to briefly touch on the topic of the opposite of this. I noticed you have a $1 pledge on your page. Can you briefly describe why you have that $1 pledge and how that has also attributed to your success? Yeah, actually, that is something that a lot of people leave out. So first of all, the the practical purpose is so that somebody can follow along and receive updates. Now, Kickstarter, you don't need to create a $1 pledge level for somebody to pledge $1, but having that pledge level there will make it real easy for people to say, I'm interested in this. I want to follow along with the updates. There are a lot of people that will sit at $1 and follow along. And uh, based on what you do with your updates over time, they'll upgrade to an all-in or to a deluxe version or a base game version, and you'll make more money. But if you didn't have that, we have you know 20 people or maybe maybe let's say 40 or less people that have just pledged money for no reason and or just because they maybe they wanted to support and that's it. Uh, we have like 260 people who have pledged $1, you know, at, at that $1 pledge level. I regularly hear people, they love to announce this in the Kickstarter. They, when, you know, congruency is one of the most powerful sales tools ever. It, when somebody says something, they're going to be consistent with with that, they'll die on the hill, you know, whether it's rational or irrational. Like, you know, I don't like red cars. If you hear somebody say that, you could show them the most awesome looking red car and they would just say, nope, nope, I don't like it. Why? Because it's red, you know, and that's really truthfully because they said they made the commitment that they would never buy a red car, right? So if you were a salesperson trying to convince somebody to buy a red car at a car dealership uh, that had said that, you'd be wasting your time. Show them blue cars, you know, um, no matter if the red car on the lot is the perfect car for them, it's red. They said they wouldn't buy it. And so you shouldn't try to convince them. Right. So now the reason that that actually applies to Kickstarter is because when people upgrade from that one dollar pledge level, they love to tell everybody why. And that's an extremely good thing for your campaign. They're like, I was at the $1 pledge level. I just went all in because blah, blah, blah. I am so excited. I love what Andrew's saying and, you know, this and that. And when he did this podcast and talked about his gaming experience, that really gave me a lot of faith that this game is going to be good. There you go. And you get every once in a while, well, we get some really, really great feedback. And it helps me actually guide my content that I'm going to make. I have now plans to talk about my history in gaming why where my experience comes from why i'm basically why i'm a qualified game designer and what my history is like so things like that i think really really help what makes that dollar really cool is that it's like a i call it a non-committal commitment there are people who will see it in fact this actually i personally believe this actually helps what i call the kickstarter noobs people who have never uh, done kickstarter before or pledged on kickstarter a lot of people just see the prices and think it's due up front when in reality it's not it's it's only due uh, once it's successfully closed. So when they only see a dollar it's like oh okay let me let me do that it's it's a non-committal commitment you they're actually pledging a dollar which of course they can change at any time or they can withdraw at any time but you got them. It's just like the email. We got them on the fence now. We got them in our little queue. 
they're there. As long as Andrew consistently and effectively communicates to these people that are on this $1 pledge, he has multiple opportunities to convert them into backers. So Andrew, when it comes to podcasters and interviews, what would be the percentage of those interviews that you have done that it's been you reaching out to the actual influencer, let's say, and saying, hey, can I be on your podcast versus them actually contacting you saying, hey, I came across Deliverance. Can I interview you? What's sort of the percentage there? Um, I would say it's about 50-50. So half of them were kind of on my radar before. And really, you know, the bigger ones need lead time. And so part of my pre-marketing was to target very specific podcasts and say, I'd really like to be on that podcast because of X, Y, and Z. So how am I going to get on that podcast? And then the other 50% were either, you know, we'll say we'll break the, the people that reached out to me into kind of two camps. The first camp was where people that were like, I really like what you're doing. Can I please interview you for my podcast? And then the other camp of people that reached out to me was that I issued a broad call out asking if anybody wanted to interview me and to send me a direct message. I did this through first a, um, a Kickstarter like media group and, you know, it was like Kickstarter board game media Facebook group. And then I also did this in one of my project updates. It was, I believe, update number two that I, that I asked for people that were interested in um, interviewing me to do that. And we actually got some really great interviews that way. Moon, uh, the guy that did, uh, Mo- the guys that did Moonrakers have a podcast interview and, uh, you know, interview format type thing. It's like a live show on Facebook and it was an awesome one, but there were a bunch that kind of reached out to us as a result of me saying, I'm willing to be interviewed, you know? And, uh, so the ones that I sought out were probably, I mean, it's very similar to number five where, you know, we're asking, you know, I say constantly seek influencers to share your project with. You have to reach out to each individual podcast, um, you know, host and ask them to be interviewed. But how do you do that? You can't just say, hey, would you like to interview me? I'm a first time creator bringing a project that is different to Kickstarter. It's not really going to work. So the um, the key is is really to pitch that person on what value you could add to their audience and why it would be a great idea to interview you. Um, So you make it all about them and how it would help them. That's going to, it's just going to get you a lot further than, than otherwise, you know? So we actually covered this in episode, well, briefly in episode six with Gabe Barrett of the Board Game Design Lab and how he basically got his first interview. I think the first person interviewed was Jamie Stegmaier. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is, you know, a pretty big name in the industry. He's a first-time podcaster. So he gives a little formula of what he said, and that might be help you craft emails, but also craft messages on Facebook or on Twitter or whatever when reaching out to influencers and asking them, hey, can I? Can you be interviewed on my podcast? Can I come on your podcast? And then I suppose this also feeds into your next point of this article, which is constantly seek influencers to share your project with. So that, I suppose it's very similar to point four where, you know, you're wanting to be interviewed. So... Can you give an example of, you know, how, how did you reach out to people on social media and what results did that generate? Yeah. So the first thing is I, I crafted a specific message to each individual person that was based upon what value or what type of content they write for their audience and 
how I could add value. So for example, getting this, you know, blog on to Jamie Stegmeyer's website, you know, we, he was, um, gracious enough to post this blog. And I actually reached out to him saying, Hey, I am, you know, we, and we had some history. It wasn't the first time that he ever heard from me or anything like that. I had, you know, posted, uh, comments on his blog. I actually suggested a couple of things to him that he ended up using in past blogs and, he knows who I am. So when I reach out to him, he's not like, who is this? In guy? fact, right? he calls you a marketing expert. <laughs> well, thank you, Jamie. Learn that creator and quote, expert marketer, Andrew Lowen. So there we go from the man himself. <laughs> That's fantastic. He writes Kickstarter posts twice a week. You know, I think twice a week, um, some sort of crowdfunding related thing because he really got quite popular through Kickstarter. And even though he hasn't done a game on Kickstarter in a long time, he's very well known for that and for his his ability to run a fantastic Kickstarter. So, and I have no doubt that he would be smashing it on Kickstarter with, you know, five and $10 million campaigns if he continued it, you know, but he, so anyway, he still writes about this stuff uh, because a lot of people find value out of it. And so I believed that I could add value to his listeners by just going over what I'm doing in the mid campaign. And he agreed. I, so I, I suggested, Hey, I could write an article for you on this topic. Would you be interested in seeing a draft of that? And he said, yeah, absolutely. Please write it in, uh, you know, use as much firsthand account as you can to show people what you actually did. It was like, excellent. And, uh, you know, whenever somebody is willing to accept a draft of an article that you've written it just to, to look at it, I would say, you know, nine times out of 10, maybe more, they'll, they'll post that, you know, and he just left room open for him to make edits and changes and that kind of thing. He ended up not really changing a whole lot. I think he added a little bit of a before and, you know, so it was, it ended up working out very well. I managed to successfully pitch um, influencers like the editor in chief of the Babylon Bee. I, I got to join their podcast, which is really cool. I don't want to just like breeze over this. So how did you do that? Was that just, was it on like a direct Facebook message? Was it, did you like chat with them on like a comment thread for a while? Like how, how did that happen? So it was, it was pretty cool. So I had a, um, a friend of mine uh, who's actually our editor for our uh, rule book and, and whatnot. He said, Kyle Mann is playing Star Wars Rebellion on his podcast right now. This ba the Babylon B podcast. And I'm like, that's, that's a serious game. Like that's not some kind of, you know, light game. This guy's a gamer and uh, you know, he's a board gamer. And so I reached out to Kyle on Twitter and said, Hey, I have a game that's uh, you know, a dungeon crawler that is like a Christian fantasy project. Are you, would you like to, hear more information about it and and was that a private message on twitter or was it a public one? it was a direct private message on twitter and okay. he was very receptive and that's how our conversation began and i also pitched the interview or the editor-in-chief of christianity today and in the in the very same way and i got him to kind of talk to me but he generally kind of ghosted me and so sometimes you know the best laid plans just come to naught. Hear that Christianity today? <laughs> You're lost. Dunk. Dunk on Christianity today. Have you thought about maybe sending them a fresh new message now that you've uh, funded and let them know that this game is coming out and people are going to be playing it? 
Oh, um, I did. Now that I'm successful and you don't want to talk to me when I wasn't successful, do you want to talk to me now that I'm successful? Actually, how do you deal with that? Do you, are you resentful when you like reach out to people and they're like, no, go away from me, you, you know, noob. And then suddenly when you got a bit of success, now they all want to talk to you. Is that kind of like rubbing salt in the wounds? Are you a bit resentful when that happens? I, I imagine I would be. Well, you know, as a board game designer, you really have to develop some thick skin and, and a very short-term memory. Peyton Manning, who is a very famous football player, quarterback that has won tons and tons of championships, uh, Super Bowl championships. This guy said, you know, a reporter asked him what the most valuable tool was in his toolkit. And he talked about hard, you know, the value of hard work and other things like that. And then he also said, you need the memory of a goldfish. And the memory of a goldfish is, uh, you know, basically alludes to a goldfish having a short term memory that is eight seconds long. So they actually, you know, when they swim around their castle, they swim around their castle once or twice. And then like, it's like, oh, wow, a castle. So basically you're saying to forgive or forget, move on. And if they reach out again, just jump on that opportunity. Don't, don't hold water under the bridge. Right. Because the truth is that you're, you know, there are a lot of reasons to turn somebody down and some of the best reasons to turn somebody down are because it's not going to really add value to what, you know, to our listeners or whatever. Right. And so I, I certainly would maybe take offense if they said that, you know, I was too ugly to join their podcast or something, but I certainly should never take offense if somebody just is like, hey, you know, you're kind of, it's not really newsworthy, you know? I mean, it does hurt, but it's true and it may change. And I definitely recommend not only to find people in the board game space, but especially with this influencer thing, find people that are in like the theme, uh, would, would be interested in the theme. So for in this case, being Christian fantasy, I, I was able to, to reach out and get the director of the chosen to to talk about our game to share our kickstarter link actually it was really cool yeah talk, talk us through that how did that happen was that again on twitter was it on facebook did you do a private message was it a public message so in what this case say? what's the formula right what's the secrets each each case is different so i had an opportunity arise someone who backed our game sent us a private message and this kind of harkens back to your community point number one engage in your community they sent me a private message on Kickstarter and they said, or maybe it was on Facebook Messenger, and they said, hey, congrats on this successful campaign. I'm really excited. You know, The Chosen is one of my favorite things. I've donated to that and I'm donating to this because I really believe in what you guys are doing. And um, I was like, oh, thanks so much. You know, would you, are you, are you a huge fan of The Chosen, right? You know, which is a, uh, a series on, um, you know, that's being crowdfunded right now, big kind of a Christian uh, life of Jesus sort of series. And they were like, oh, yeah, actually, the director was my roommate in college. And I said, you know, and this is just <laughs> it's crazy, right? It's just simply engaging. You never know where the results are going to come from. So I yeah. I said, hey, that's awesome. Well, tell them about deliverance if you can, you know, and guess what? That guy did tell him about deliverance. And, wow. And yeah, there were a couple that of probably comes, things, but coming from a friend, that's going to be far more impactful than, you know, some stranger messaging you, Hey, by the way, I have a Kickstarter. Check it out, please. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it ends up that the director Dallas Jenkins is not a board gamer, but he had someone on, on the, on the chosen staff that was a board gamer and shared it with them. 
And then he ended up sharing it on his official fan page and just says, uh, this is promising on his uh, on his page. And I know that he must have done some research and, and looked into it at least and watched the video. But he was evidently impressed enough with what he saw to share. And then I actually have other people from The Chosen that are on the staff that our board gamers backed our game. And and I was just talking to one of them for, on a Discord that was like, yeah, you know, I just heard about your thing when Dallas shared it. You know, it was very cool. So, again, you never know where the true results are going to come from. I did notice that yesterday was probably one of the, uh, the, less, the least impressive days mm-hmm. when it comes to... Um, backers i don't know if you noticed that mm-hmm. um, if you did did you notice that how did that like impact your mental health did it make you feel really discouraged was were you okay with that so what, what's your thinking when you basically don't perform as well as other days what's sort of like the emotions that you're sort of encountering yeah so um yeah you're right the um for whatever reason we had uh so we've had kind of a gradual decline into the mid campaign which is very common so we had According to KickTrack, we had like $136,000 on day one, uh, roughly $25,000 on day two, $11,000 on day three, $10,000 on day four, $5,500 on day five, $4,500 on day six. And then we hovered between four, roughly $4,200 to, four, to $5,000 for a couple of days in a row. And then yesterday, we raised only $2,400. So it was the, we had 18 backers yesterday and um you know there were there were absolutely fewer backers so um i would say you know we had like anywhere from 40 to 6 40 to 55 backers during like the first 5 days of our mid campaign and then the last 2 days we've had like 23 and 8 18 you know um so far yesterday the day you were talking about we had 23 backers so far we have had 18 and it it's slated to be a similar day to to yesterday. And I would say I chalk that up to the media things that we're doing. Um, you know, some of them were more effective than others. And um, it's something that I would like to see it be higher. It's, uh, you know, it does hurt if, you know, if you were to look, you can see a ton of backers, but there are also people that cancel their pledges, that adjust their pledges and that kind of thing. You know, if I were to look, I mean, there are probably one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. 10, 11 people today alone that canceled their pledge, you know, 12, 13 people within the last 24 hours. And we've had a lot of people that have upgraded their pledges and added themselves and that sort of thing. We have a lot more people that have added, you know, in fact, if we were to look, I mean, I have, you know, probably, I mean, it's a lot of people that have pledged and, um, you know, maybe like, you know, 35 people or, or 40 people that have pledged in the last 24 hours. And the challenge is just in, yeah, staying sane, kind of like you were saying, you want to stay sane and you, you don't, you don't want to let yourself buy into your own hype. You know, uh, I suppose you don't want to, you don't want to take it personally either. There's the, it's difficult because, you know, you've put so much into this game that, you know that can I'm sure can be quite discouraging to see that, but I suppose it's it's as we said in the beginning of the podcast, it's mm-hmm. focusing on things which actually move the needle yep. rather than focusing on things which don't. You could look at you know your backers mm-hmm. and people unbacking all day long, but it's not going to change anything. You actually have to go out and engage your community, go on different platforms, try and get the you know 
the buzz going. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I find. I think that, you know, we've encountered some things that we might do differently next time, um, which we'll probably want to talk about after our Kickstarters, you know, finished, but it's, it's a real kind of, it'll, it'll destroy you if you look at all of the negativity. So absolutely focus on the positive, such an important thing. Oh, shucks. Looks like uh, we're out of time and we only went halfway through uh, our articles. So what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and do the second half of the article in next week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. And by the way, for those of you who are listening to this podcast live, you have about a week and a few days left to check out Deliverance. Special shout out to Jamie Stegmeier for uh, posting that wonderful article from Andrew Lowen and calling him the expert marketer. So for those of you who have an idea for Kickstarter or got your Kickstarter going or don't know where to go. I know some of you also have already started your Kickstarter and may need some assistance. Feel free to uh, visit um, our webpage um, at, uh, where are we at today? Oh, nextlevelweb.com forward slash Kickstarter and uh, shoot us a message and we can help you out wherever you are stage-wise in the process and give you our recommendations of where to go next. And of course, uh, for all of you listeners, thank you for listening to us this week. And we will see you next week, nerds, and stay nerdy. See you on the flippity flop. (laughs) 